Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family as we join together in a series of family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. And today we are launching into chapter one. And just to kind of outline what we're going to be doing, I am not going to cover by any means every verse in the Gospel of Luke. At times, I'll give you a survey of an entire chapter or maybe just focus on a paragraph. And today, I'm just going to focus on one short phrase that's so essential for families today. So let's start with Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments, all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Luke chapter 1 opens up with the birth of John the Baptist to two parents who thought they were way past childbearing age. And since John the Baptist, according to Jesus, is one of the greatest men who ever lived, ever. In fact, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. And so to have such a great man doesn't just appear with a magic dust or a, or a wave of a wand. It comes from good and godly parents. And so we should ask ourselves, as we meet the opening of the ministry of Jesus, which was preceded by that of John the Baptist, what made him tick? In other words, what was it about his parents that we can extract and apply to our lives today? Well, the first thing we learn about John the Baptist's parents is that his father was a priest, and his mother, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron, and Aaron was Israel's first priest. So he's basically a minister's family, you would say, today. In fact, those of you who have a Protestant background, who maybe are Protestants listening, will know what I mean when I say John the Baptist was a PK. And if you're a Protestant, you know what a PK is. That's a pastor's kid. And PKs are generally known in Protestant circles as the absolute worst kids in any congregation. Why is that? Well, pastor's kids suffer from a particular disease that pastors have. They think that they are so busy serving God in their congregations that they forget that the primary way married Christians serve God is to their families. After that, Christian ministries take second place. So, Zechariah and Elizabeth, both from ministers' families, didn't produce a PK. They didn't produce the worst kid in Jerusalem or in Israel. No, they, they produced one of the best in all of human history. So, what did they do? Well, Luke doesn't say a lot, but what he says 
is extremely important. It says they were walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Uh, other parts of Scripture calls this simply walking with God. Now, if you go to one of the few <laughs> Christian bookstores still open, haven't been closed due to Amazon, you'll find there's a slew of Christian books and articles and magazines, as well as you turn on the radio or television, there's broadcast all on Christian parenting. And yet, I dare say that about 99% of them will miss what I am going to be sharing with you today. And this isn't from me. This is a result of my reflections on the Gospel of Luke. And I've had my radar uh, system active. So in other words, as if I'm going through Luke, I want to find something very practical and relevant for parents, for families, for parents raising kids. And this walking in all the commandments of God is the only thing that the gospel tells us about these parents, but it is something that's incredibly important. So we need to ask ourselves, well, what does it mean to walk with God or walk in his commandments? It's simply this. To walk with God means that your entire way of life is influenced by your faith. Yes, you go to church on Sunday, and back in these days, Elizabeth and, and Zechariah were going to the temple on the Sabbath. Yes, they went and spent one day a week worshiping that way, but it was just the beginning. To walk with God means that your Sunday worship lines up with your work life, your business ethics, your sports, your family life, and even your recreation. So here's the opposite of walking with God. Let's say somebody asks a person, are you a Christian? And the person answers, yes, I go to church. Now, this might seem a little harsh, but one of the responses to that, if a person really isn't walking with God, is, well, are you an automobile because you walk into your garage? Just because you happen to uh, go to church on Sunday, sit in a pew like a lifeless bump, that doesn't mean you're the type of Christian God is desiring, and it sure will not be the type of Christian life that will produce men and women of God who are faithful and God-honoring and promote the kingdom of God. Your Christianity will not do you a bit of good for your family, and particularly your children, if you go to church on Sunday and your kids find out that you're a corrupt businessman Monday morning. And this is where the hypocrisy comes. As your kids get older, they know exactly what you are like. And if you're a religious hypocrite, then don't be surprised if your kids don't want anything to do with the church or the faith as they get older. So the idea of walking with God, and I believe it's a key idea in parenting. It was the key thing that St. Luke describes about the parents of the greatest man who lived in the entire Old Testament period is to be that consistent walk with God. Now, here's a life application. I didn't save it to the end. 
But let's just say you're a Catholic college student. You're at a Catholic university or a secular university. It doesn't make any difference. On both campuses, both types of campuses, you're called to walk with God. Now, how can you tell if you're walking with God if you're a Catholic college student? Real simple. In fact, it's so simple that it boils down to Friday and Saturday night. If you're a college student, what you do on Friday and Saturday night speaks volumes of whether or not you are walking with God. That's your test. In other words, your social life on campus. Yes, campus life is maybe the first time you're totally away from your parents, maybe away from your hometown. You're free to do anything. Does that anything include walking with God on Friday and Saturday night or walking contrary to God? And if you want to be the kind of person that's going to have a strong, stable, enduring family life, you walk with God. Now, there's some special danger, dangers to uh, a person who sincerely wants to walk with God. Let me mention special danger number one. And this danger applies particularly to radio hosts on Catholic radio. I'm talking about myself. It also applies to priests and deacons who have studied a lot of theology. It also speaks to laymen who know a lot about the faith. And here's the special danger. Knowing a lot about God, but not living it, not walking it out consistently in daily life, is, is talking, not walking. In other words, the real rub in producing children who end up being an honor to God isn't just talking a lot about the faith, it's actually showing it forth in your lifestyle. It's walking, not talking. So I just had to include special danger number one, so I would remember that. Here's special danger number two, and this one is particularly a relevant danger today, and that's social media pressure. And it used to be just peer pressure, but now peer pressure is on steroids with social media pressure. And the pressure is there to conform to norms that aren't Christian. And walking with God means your outlook, the norm that you walk by, is what God has revealed, what the church teaches. That's real simple, but which way do you go? Because we're living in a world where the social norms of peer pressure has a lot of detours, and God is looking for consistency in walking with him. Do you know what the first name was for the Christian church? It wasn't the Roman Catholic Church. It was something very simple. It's found in Luke, the book of Luke number two. Now, I hesitated for a minute. What do I mean the book of Luke number two? If you remember from the last session, Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And these are two parts, Luke one, Luke two. Luke two is the book of Acts. And these, these are meant to be seen together. Remember I told you pretend the Gospel of John is not in the middle. And in Acts chapter nine, the name given to the earliest, earliest Christian church was the way. What does that mean? That the earliest church 
in the middle of a pagan empire. That means most of the people you were doing business with, most of the people surrounding you in cities, that means your government, they were all pagans. And yet the Christians were walking with God and they were following the way of Christianity. And so this is something that works no matter where our culture goes, but you can't follow culture as your primary beacon and where to walk in life. You let God be your beacon. Let the scriptures tell you what to do. Let the teaching of the church teach you what to do. And if you do that, you're walking with God. And particularly if you're a parent or want to be a parent, that's what you want to do. Now, you think this isn't a problem? This is a huge problem. In the book of Revelation, there are seven Catholic churches the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And why did I say they were Catholic churches? Well, <laughs> there were no Protestant churches for 1,500 years yet. Okay, There were only Catholic churches. It, there were seven of these churches, and five of the seven churches received a strong rebuke from Jesus himself. Five out of seven. And it's very interesting I read one book written by a man who had done a lot of archaeological and historical studies on the culture surrounding these seven churches. And if you look at the problems in the church, it was like it was a slow leak of the corrupt culture was coming into the church. And these were churches, some of them like uh, were founded by the Apostle Paul, the first one that got a rebuke was the Church of Ephesus. Now, now listen to this. In the Church of Ephesus, guess who two, two members were? One was St. John, the author of the book of Revelation, the Gospel of John, and first, second, third letters of John, the disciple closest to Jesus, and he was there in Ephesus until he got banished to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. But John was in the area. Guess who else was? the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, let's just say that St. John and the Blessed Virgin Mary were members of your parish. I mean, you know, what excuse do you have for walking according to a pagan culture? If you're called by Jesus, walk consistently. Yet the church of Ephesus was walking according to their culture. And five of these seven churches, and I dare say that's going on today. I don't think the percentages have changed. And so we need to be careful where we're getting our signals from, where our life orientation is, and don't just blame our kids for wanting to depart from the faith. Let's take a deep look within and, and really ask ourselves, are we walking with God? Are we consistent, not only going to Mass on Sunday, but what we're doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well, that's walking with God. Now, there's a third and final danger for uh, taking people off of their walk with God, and I called it uh, super spirituality. You know, walking with God sounds very normal. This isn't a, a sprint where you're running the 100 yards in so many seconds. This isn't climbing a mountain. This isn't hanging from the side of a rock going up and say, hey, everybody, look at me. You know, 
because a super spirituality in reality is a superficial spirituality. Walking is calm, steady, consistent. It's an orientation in life that's peaceful, that it's in harmony with God's word. Super spirituality is a trap. And I'm going to speak for a moment as a former Protestant pastor, because one of the things you find in Protestantism that you also find in Catholicism is the disease of super spirituality. And so often, it's not a walk with God, but it's a walk into a deep pit, because very often they want attention on all the super spiritual things they're doing. And the Bible word for that is pride. That means you're walking into a pit and you don't want to go there. Now, as a Protestant pastor, I wasn't bound by the seal of confession and all of that, but there's things that I learn that are going to stay with me till I go into my grave. But let me tell you that in a Protestant congregation, just like in a Catholic parish, some of the people who by outward appearances appear to be super spiritual can have the greatest problems, greatest moral problems of anyone in that congregation. Let me just leave it at that. Super spirituality is not walking with God. I'm not asking you to do handstands. I'm not asking you to sprint. I'm not asking you to climb spiritual mountains. Just a consistent practice of your faith, and not just on Sunday, but all week long. And the fact that Zechariah and Elizabeth were walking with God and his commandments, that's what qualified them to be selected by God to be the parents of one of the greatest men that ever lived. Now, let me ask you, are you concerned with all the craziness going on in the church crisis and our cultural collapse? Well, if you're not concerned, I don't know what to say, because I think any normal parent would be concerned about our culture and what's going on around us. But you know what the golden key is for parenting during times of apostasy? And that's what you call a, a cultural collapse and when a, a segments of the church are going along with that. The golden key for parenting in times of apostasy is walking with God. It's following in those same footsteps, not racing, not climbing, just walking with God in a consistent, orderly, peaceful, harmonious fashion. And, you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't the only ones that were able to pull this off. In fact, one of the greatest walking with God persons in the entire Bible is a man by the name of Enoch. And we read about him way, way, way back in Genesis chapter 5. And it it says this, and listen, because parents, uh, there's something here. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after the birth of Methuselah, 300 years, people were living a long time back then, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
He was one of the very, very, very few people in the Old Testament that were taken directly into heaven and didn't experience death as we know it. Why? He was an unusual guy. He walked with God. He walked with God, and, and, and this is the story. This is only Genesis 5, but let me tell you, once original sin hits, the world went nuts. It just went off kilter almost immediately. I mean, you just turn the page from Genesis chapter 3, and you have murder in the first family in the world. Murder. Two, one brother murdering his brother. I mean, that's just the beginning of a whole host of problems, and yet in the midst of all this chaos that almost began immediately after the original sin, we have Enoch walking with God. But notice this. He says he walked with God after the birth of Methuselah. Now, I'm sure he was a good guy uh, before the birth of Methuselah, but something with the birth of Methuselah that he basically had a wake-up call. Now, I've thought about this for years. And I know personally becoming a dad is a wake-up call. Uh, Becoming a mom and dad can certainly improve your walk with God. You realize that uh, this life is not a joke and and God brings a life into your family that you realize you're responsible for. And what you do or don't do, it could have a dramatic effect on the the eternal welfare of that child. So yes, that's a wake-up call for parenting, but I think there's a, something else to be seen here because it says he walked with God after the birth of Methuselah, but he also had other sons and daughters, but what was it about Methuselah that was the wake-up call? Well, you may know that Methuselah was the oldest man who ever lived in the Bible, and some scholars believe, and I'm of that opinion, that Methuselah died the year the flood came. In other words, you have Enoch. He had Methuselah, who had a son called Lamech, who had a son called Noah. But Methuselah was alive during all of these descendants. He was like the great-great-grandpa of this. And it's interesting that Enoch just like Zechariah, you might say, was a preacher. In fact, in the very short epistle to Jude, it's only one verse, it's just before the book of Revelation, there's two verses, verses 14 and 15, that has the preaching of Enoch in there. And as far as I can tell, this is the oldest preaching in recorded history. It's about 5,000 to 5,500 years years old, and you can read it in Jude. But it basically is a call by Enoch, like, don't mess around. God is going to come in judgment, and this life isn't to be isn't to be toyed with. It's it's not something to go our own way. You want to follow God's way. That's what this life is for, and that's what Enoch was preaching. You can read it, but he didn't corrupt his kids by preaching it and then not walking it. He he was a consistent talker and walker. He didn't produce PKs, the worst kids in the world, because he produced Lamech, and then Lamech produced a son by the name 
of Noah. Now, I'm going to get to Noah in just a second. I'd like to insert a reality check that I had personally. I grew up in a Presbyterian church, mainline Presbyterian church, and we were taught and recited and confessed the Apostles' Creed, including the phrase, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I mean, Enoch was warning about that way back then, and the Apostles' Creed has it, and I did that in my childhood through my mid-teens until I quit going to church. And when I had a conversion experience and actually encountered people who thought this would actually happen, I was stunned by the reality of the second coming. This isn't just something to say in church. This is confessing an ultimate reality. You know, there was a a longtime supporter called our offices here. He just happened to start listening to Luke 21 Radio, my companion broadcast on biblical prophecy. And he was shaken. He said, Steve really seems to believe this stuff. Well, I do. Everybody should believe this stuff. That's what Enoch was preaching 5,000 years ago. So if you want to add vitamin fortification to your walk with God and your children's walk with God, help them to grasp the reality, not just talk about it, but the reality of the second coming. This is what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. What is our origin? What is our end? That's the second coming. The two questions, the first about the origin and about the end are inseparable. And I would say the stark reality about the end. They are decisive for the meaning and orientation of our life and actions. Now, these are the fancy words in the catechism. They are decisive for the meaning and orientation of our life and actions. That's paragraph 282. That's simply another way of saying they are decisive for our walk, our walk with God, where we came from, and where we're going. And the reality of those two things have to hit us as parents so that we can walk with God and pass on that great, great inheritance of children who are walking with God. Remember I mentioned that uh, Noah was one of the descendants of Enoch, and in all likelihood, he was alive until right before the flood came. His death would would have marked the beginning of the flood. I personally feel that God let Enoch know that with that child's death was going to come a severe judgment upon the world, and the flood was a preview of what was to come. So what do we read about Noah in Genesis 6 and verse 9? Noah walked with God. How about you, Mom and Dad? Are you walking with God? I'm Steve Wood, and you've been listening to episode 226 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.